Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. It's been a while. We've had a couple. We have a, a little bit of a break here. Uh, haven't haven't been on in a while, and uh, I'm trying to get back into the regularness now. So we're going to try and record every Tuesday, uh, you know, and and get you an episode by Wednesday every week to make it more consistent, not only for you guys but for us. But with that said, we're going to bring on um, uh, a consistent part of the podcast recently, uh, Calvin who has been with us, um, you know, all throughout this. And then Jeff, who has been on the podcast a couple times already. Um, so, guys, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing fine. It's a nice sunny day over here in the UK. That's always good to hear. Calvin, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing great, believe it or not. Nice sunny day on the northeast of the U.S. as well. So, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's getting to be that nicer weather out now. I don't know about for you, Jeff, but over here, it's, you know, getting up in the 60s and the 70s. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit nicer out, a little more bearable outside for us up here in the Northeast. Of, of we're, not, we're not quite as good as that, but um, <laughs> no, uh, anything's good. We, we, we've had some really appalling weather. So uh, this, this is, we're basking in it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got a lot to get into. Obviously, the international break is this week. So there are no Everton matches to talk about coming up. But there are a couple Everton matches that yeah, exactly. Um, but there are a couple Everton matches that we have to break down from the past. And we do have to um, we'll talk about the youth teams a little bit something we haven't talked about in a while. So first off, let's start with the good. Doesn't seem like we always get to start off with the good. But Today, we get to start off with the good of what was the Newcastle-Everton match on Thursday. Um, Everton win that match one nothing by way of a very, very, very late goal by Alex Awobi. Uh, Allen, of course, gets the red card. We'll talk about all of that, um, and we'll talk about this match in general. But let's first talk about the lineup. Um, no Donny Van de Beek. No Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, Everton go with a back four of Coleman, Holgate, Keane, Godfrey, uh, Ducore, and Allen in the middle with Awobi, Gordon, and Gray with Richarlison up top. Um, a little bit different, of course, of a lineup than we have typically been seeing under Lampard. That is obviously due to the fact that we haven't been able to use uh, or that, that Donnie Vandebeek was not available. Um, so... Your thoughts, guys, on how we set up. It was a little bit different. We've had some troubles with the five at the back. We've had some troubles with, you know, just Allen and DeCorey in the middle. Calvin, we'll start with you. Your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not a surprise that we finally go back to a four-man, you know, defense and immediately the team looks, I think, a lot more coherent. Um, I, I, again, I understand why Frank has gone with the three-man, five-man backline. Obviously, the, 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 the defending has been appalling. Um, and unfortunately, we saw that again this weekend. Yeah. So, you know, trying, trying to make up for some of those errors by, you know, throwing in more defenders in that area is, mm -hmm. I understand the logic there. And again, he went with a four-man backline against Newcastle, who... Again, with the number of injuries they have, right? Not necessarily mm -hmm. the, the biggest attacking threat. So I, I thought that was that was a smart move. I, I think he, he he picked the right side. Um, surprised to see Van de Beek not in in the side. I, I think that was a bit of a surprise. But yeah. 
at the same time, you know, when, when he joined, right, we, we, we were already wondering, how do you fit Alan, Docore, Van de Beek, and Dele in, in one side, right? It's, someone's got someone's to sit. And, and so I, I think, to me, that was the biggest surprise is, you know, dropping Van de Beek for that, for that one. I would have thought he could have probably thrived against Newcastle. Uh, but again, uh, you know, r- right selections and, uh, you know, right results at the end of the day too. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts. So, so I, I wasn't displeased with the lineup when, um, I saw this in actual fact, uh, one name I, I don't think he mentioned was, uh, that's of Begovic, um, coming in for that game. Yes. And yes. I, I, I thought, and I, and I continue to think that we look safer with Begovic in goal. Um, Pickford can do some marvellous things with uh, his distribution at times, um, but but I, I, I was pleased that Beg, uh, Begovic was in there. He looked like he was more prepared to try and command his six-yard area, uh, come and be decisive in things that he did, and yeah. I think that gave the back four a little bit more confidence than um, that they have with Pickford behind them. I, I just, I'm not totally anti-Pickford here, I, I hasten to add, but I, I do think it, it helped. I think what also helped was having Godfrey at uh, left back, which I continue to think is his best position because I don't think he's good enough or strong enough in, in centre-back positionally uh, unaware at times of what's going on, whereas if he's wide, he, he has less things to concentrate on. Um, we, we know what a powerful force he can be. Um, he was stopping some of the crosses that uh, under Mikolenko, we were letting get into the box and they were causing us issues. Yeah. So I wasn't displeased to see the back four, uh, especially with Godfrey at left back. Um, I think an- another surprise to me, the-, the one that caught me by surprise, was probably the position that I've not seen Gordon take up since um, uh, I used to watch him for the under-23s, which is that's of almost like a number 10, mm-hmm. uh, whereas he was yeah. uh, floating behind uh, Richarlison. And I-, I don't think he was as effective as I'd hoped him to be there, but it was nice to see uh, the the manager putting faith in him to actually give him that sort of constructive role. Uh, don't yeah. think it was his best game, but it, it was nice to see. Yeah, it was. It was definitely interesting seeing Gordon in that role. You would have thought that if if they were going to play that similar type of formation, that they would have moved Deli Ali into that role and started him and moved Gordon right. back out wide as he typically is playing. But um, you know, hey, I'm all for trying different things and seeing what works. Um, because we need that. We need a little bit of mixing things up. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, the lineup worked out um, well in our favor. And I, you know, I think obviously, you know, we ended up defensively being much, you know, much more sound. We ended up being um, solid defensively. I mean, we didn't really play a possession-based game. Newcastle shared 62% of the possession while we only had 38%. Um, but we had our chances and we kept them scoreless. And that's obviously the most important thing. Um, we got, a, we got a couple of things. Most of the events in this match happened late in the match. But let's talk about the first half. What was your guys' thoughts in, on the first half? Um, every, how Everton came out. Obviously, the crowd was behind them. It was loud. It was, you know, another typical Goodison night from the fans. Um, yeah. Jeff, your thoughts on the first half? Uh, 
um, of this match between Newcastle and Everton? So, so I, I think a nighttime game with uh, the uh, crowd behind you, uh, it, it is literally, as they say, the 12th man. Uh, and it, and it should yeah. help you uh, drive on and be positive. Yeah. And, I, and I thought they looked okay with ours. Uh, and this is just so typically Everton of, of late uh, that, that are clearly finding it a struggle to score goals. Mm-hmm. And, and when you don't take an early chance, it's almost like you can feel the confidence ebbing away, um, which, which, yeah. is, which is a, a real unfortunate habit to, to be uh, to be getting into. So I think the fact that, that they, I don't think they deserve particularly to be 1-0 up at the break or anything, but the fact that they didn't create a chance that um, that they uh, could put away uh, was a, a sort of marker for the game. You know, um, I think Newcastle felt that they could uh, get into it. I think Newcastle on form are the better team at the moment. Uh, sad to say, um, sure. I, I was delighted that uh, Sam Maximum uh, didn't start the game because he, he, <laughs> he's been turning us up in uh, recent <laughs> matches. Yeah. So I was delighted with yeah. that. But nevertheless, um, I, I, I do think we need to... Um, we, we've started a couple of games okay, but we don't put the ball away. And, and mm-hmm. that's the real problem. And, and I think yeah. with, a, with a side... Um, that, that's a successful side you do that you get an early goal you, you look I hate to say it but you look at the likes of Liverpool and teams like that they score early and, yeah. and it, it yeah. sets the tone for the game and unless you do that um, we're, we're always you, you can always you can almost sense the players getting into the heads so yeah. you know I, th- I think we, we could have done better but um, nil nil at half time I guess you'd take yeah, absolutely. Calvin, your thoughts? Yeah, I think echoing Jeff on that one, right? For, the crowd was incredible. The first five, ten minutes was amazing. It was just a wall of noise. Every time a Newcastle player touched the ball, it was just raining booze, right? That, that was great. Great to hear. But, you know, for all that backing, right, we didn't necessarily play well in the first half. We didn't concede, which nowadays tends to be priority number one. But, um, you know, at the same time, I don't think we did much. I think we had like one shot in that entire first first half. And I don't think it was really any, 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 anything to write home about. And in fact, Newcastle were actually, you know, they were passing the ball around really nicely. I, I would much rather have been them than us at, at, at that point. Um, it, it didn't look like we were, we were going to do much in this game. Yeah. But I, again, like I said, priority number one, not to concede early and at least not to concede in the first half. And I think we met that goal. And, and I think that's kind of set the foundation for us to go in at halftime and be a little more aggressive in the second half. Because that's exactly what happened. Is I think nowadays, whenever we take to the pitch, whether it's at home or away, we are so terrified of conceding because we know as soon as one goal goes in, the avalanche is following, right? So yeah. I think everyone is just that much more tense. Um, so obviously ha- having the home fans, you know, Backing the team is great, but at some point the players ha- have to do more. Where like yeah. it, this was this was at this point it was going to be what the fifth game now in a row we hadn't scored fifth league game because we had gone four league games before without scoring until that point, right? Yep. Yeah, it yeah, was so, um, it was four league games. Yeah, and then obviously basically the majority of this one as well. Right. So yeah. So again. Stability is good. 
Um, I, I think we were lucky not to concede because Newcastle had a, a couple of really good chances. Uh, but like I said, a- any, any, any block of time we sustain some pressure and don't concede right now is, is a, bit of a, of a bit of a morale boost for a very, very fragile team right now. Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, it's been teams under Frank Lampard. We've had been able to maybe shore up the defense a little bit more. You know, a lot of one nothing losses, but we haven't been able to continue that scoring track record that we. I mean, even when we were under when we were under Rafa, while we were losing basically every game, we were still scoring goals. It was the defense that was the issue. Right now, it seems to have shifted to the offense being more of the issue, where we can't put the ball in the back of that, and it's. It makes you wonder what happens, you know, this team for half the season was putting balls in the back of the net. Offensively, they were very, very good. And then a switch of manager and they focus more defensively. And, you know, obviously it may be tactics. It may be what, you know, what is the main goal. And obviously for the way Everton were playing, the main goal was to stop leaking goals. Um, and, you know, right. we have had a lot of one nothing defeats, um, obviously with the 5 nothing, um thumping to Tottenham thrown in there and then Crystal Palace now but other than that one nothing yeah. over Newcastle one nothing lost to Wolves one nothing lost to Man City two nothing to Southampton you know one nothing to Aston Villa so like all these are defensively it's been it's been better but offensively we've lost a lot of that um that you know talent that we had up there that that tack that we had up there um so that's something we need to figure out because like you said at that point, it was 450, 460 minutes at least that we hadn't scored in the Premier League um, by the time right. we'll, we'll be put in the back of that. So, um, you know, that's a problem. You can't win games. You're not going to be able to advance. Um, you're not going to be able to stay yeah. up if you're, not, um, if you're not putting balls in the back of the net. So that's something definitely that needs to be figured out. But, you know, I think a huge, huge factor that, um, you know, Jeff, I think you brought it up a little bit too um that played into our hands say maximum not playing and um kieran trippier not playing um those two killed us when we played them earlier in the year um ryan frazier as well did kill us but he was less effective today or less effective in this one but yeah i mean max say maximum and 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 trippier were dominating us when they played uh, when we played them the first time so um, it's, you know, that's certainly helped. And then of course we moved to the second half now. And as I mentioned, this is where the events happen. The major events happen. Let's start with the Allen red card. Um, I mean, goes in, um, late looks to be maybe a little bit off the ground, um, was already on a yellow at that point, but it wasn't a second yellow. It was determined. He wasn't already on a yellow. That's no, what, he wasn't. See, I on Twitter because I was following a lot of the game on Twitter. They had said that he was already on a yellow, and they thought it was a second yellow, and that he was going. No, to be, no, the ref just, gave him a yellow originally for that foul, gotcha, gotcha. and then went off to VR. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. So they they got them mixed up on Twitter because they someone had said that um they it was a straight red instead of second yellow, but nonetheless, it ends up to be a straight red. Um. It ends up being a straight red after VAR check. Calvin, we'll start with you. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just right, right in line with every, not every, but most of the VAR calls that have gone 
horribly against Everton. Like, you know, again, Lampard's gone out and straight up called it some sort of a conspiracy. I, I don't know if that's the truth. Um, I, I think it's just utter incompetency across the board from the referee on the pitch, from VAR. But uh, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's a straightforward professional foul. Agree, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. always a yellow unless the player is through on goal. That was not a goal-scoring opportunity. So from the actual perspective of the tactical nature of the foul, that's a yellow card and nothing more. Yeah, yeah. So the only argument to be made there is, was that exceedingly rough, violent play, right? Which, again, it wasn't, right? Look at the reaction from St. Maximan. He dusts himself up and comes right back up. That was not any sort of grievous injury. That did not take him out. The player did not, you know, and to his credit, he didn't roll around and like make a big deal of yeah. it or anything, right? Yeah. If anything, and this has been pointed out by a lot of the Everton fans, John Joe Shelby, when he hacked down Gordon the first time we played Newcastle and only got a yellow card, that was a much more violent, a much worse tackle than that one, right? So, again, two wrongs don't make a right or whatever it is, but yeah, yeah. that in no way was a straight red card. That is just utter BS and, and, and really the, the refereeing, you know, completely missed that one. Craig Pawson on, on the pitch missed that one. And I have no idea why Stuart Atwell at any point decided he needed to send that back to the referee to review. There was nothing to review. Like Lampard said very clearly, you review it if there's a grievous error made. There was no grievous error made. This is just getting beyond ridiculous right now. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. Jeff, your thoughts on, on it. So th there's one thing that hasn't been mentioned and I haven't really heard in any of the, the punditry either uh, around the, the subject of VAR. I, I, I seriously think uh, before they refer referees over, they, they should take account of what the referee's position was when the incident occurs. Now, uh, the, sure. the referee on the pitch was about five to ten yards away at the most running directly yep. behind in the same direction as uh, Maximum was uh, be before uh, Alan chopped him down. He saw, even in a crowded atmosphere like that, in a, in, a, in a very vociferous atmosphere, you would hear if there was big contact on uh, Sam Maximum's shin pad or his boot or his leg. You, you'd have heard that from where yeah. he was. Uh, there was no need to refer him over to, to have another look. There was no need to question the referee's judgment on that. Uh, the referee quite rightly saw this. It was a definite yellow. It was a hard yellow. Um, it, it's, I, I wasn't disappointed when uh, Alan did it, to be perfectly honest, because St. Maximum in the form is being against us. Um, a professional foul, if you're going to give one away, give one away uh, 60, 70 yards away from your own goal. Uh, take, take the yeah. guy out and, and suffer the yellow card consequences. That's yeah. all it should have been. Right. So clearly wasn't a red. Um, but the most disappointing thing for me is that when referees are questioned when they've been in perfectly good positions to see something it's not as if it was a handball like uh, the incident that Everson didn't get in a penalty <laughs> a few weeks ago where the, the fellow yep. at least had his back to the referee so you could yeah. excuse the referee for not seeing that but 
on the, against Manchester City, wasn't it? Um, yes. But yeah. with this particular one, he had a perfect view of it, and yes, he was still called into question. And basically, I think he chickened out. I think when he went over to see the screen, yes. I think it was almost a form of bullying that you actually took the referee to the side of the screen and it was uh, to the side of the pitch, and it was almost like, if you don't agree with us, you're probably going to get demoted for the next game that you thought you were going to be playing in the Premiership. And, and I, I thought it was disgusting. I really did. Yeah, it's just weird. It's like they went over for this foul, but the handball, they didn't bring over the referee for the handball in the Man City game. There was no check there that the on-field referee had to make in that match. Um, it was just deemed that it was okay. And it was, it was not, you know, the, it's, it, you know, there's not, there hasn't for, for Everton, at least there hasn't been much consistency across the calls here in terms of VAR. And we've been kind of screwed on a lot of different calls over the last few matches. And, and it's easy for your mind to drift into the position of thinking, you know, what is the premier league doing here? Do they even, do they want us to go down? Because all these calls seem to be so, outrageously bad it's like outrageously bad and it's 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 mind-boggling to see these calls it's not like it's happening once every you know it's not like it's happened <laughs> twice this season it's happened basically right. four or five times over the last seven weeks yeah. so um you know it this isn't you know a once in a blue moon thing this is happening every week to us and it, it you know it's it's and it's costing us a lot of, you know, we lost John Joe Kenny, um, which granted was a red card, but, um, or a second yellow, this, he lost Allen now for three matches, um, you know, didn't get the point at Manchester City we probably should have had because of the handball, the Southampton game was turned on its head because of the Noah handball call, you know, we're, it just feels like every single week it's something new with the referees yeah. and with Everton, so. Um, but thankfully this match, it didn't cost us any points. It may cost us points in the future, not having Allen there. Um, and again, the red yeah. card was upheld by the FA or by the FA and, and by the, the rules. In fact, both charges, the red card and the violent conduct red card, which made it a three game suspension, yes. not a one game. They were both upheld. So, uh, you know, if anything, Gino, I'm, I'm going to argue that the premier league is being very consistent with Everton. They're being consistently yeah. bad against yeah. Everton. <laughs> yes. No, very fair. Very fair. So yeah, now Allen's gone for now. When when we say three, that's three Premier League matches, right? That match against no, Christophe. it's three three domestic games. So the gotcha. FA Cup game, and it then counts. and then the trips to West Ham and the trip to Burnley. Yep, gotcha. Okay, so um, so already one down, two to go now. Unfortunately, in the situation Everton is in, every game matters. So not having him for these next two games, especially Burnley, is going to be a you know, a difficult task because that is one we absolutely, absolutely need to win. So, um, but we'll talk about all that next week when we get into actual previews today is about recapping. Um, let's talk about the Alex Iwobi goal. Um, you know, Everton could have folded after the red card. Could have folded, could have given up a goal. It could have been 0-0. I think everybody would have been happy with 0-0 after the red card. But um, thanks to some on the pitch stuff that happened um, in the middle of the game. There was a lot of extra time added on. 
And in the ninth minute of extra time, Alex Wobie puts in a goal off of a beautiful movement by Everton in general. Dominic Calvert-Lewin lays it back yeah. for him. And um, he just slots it past the goalkeeper and, and into the back of the net. Um, your thoughts, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on the response here by Everton, despite going down a man, being able to get a goal, and, and your thoughts on the goal in general. I, I thought it was a really good response. If I'm absolutely brutally honest, I was quite surprised. Uh, I was expecting to roll over um, because that, that's the way things have been going for us and uh, for us to actually have that determination to come back. And I'll give a big shout out at the moment for someone who's much maligned uh, and he, he did have a poor game the other week. Uh, but Seamus Coleman. Uh, put in an absolutely world-class tackle on the halfway line to actually set that move up. Yeah, um, he, he drifted yeah. in. Um, I, I think that to, to make to take account of the fact that we're a man light in midfield, you you are expecting your defenders to push up a, a bit further. Maybe you run a risk with that, but he did so. He, he won a great challenge, laid it off to Iwobi. Uh, great interchange between the much maligned uh, Alex Awobi and uh, Calvert-Lewin. Um, Cal- Calvert-Lewin's been in poor form as well, but there's just a, a small glimmer there to, to see that he had the uh, common sense to hold the ball, the uh, foresight to see that Awobi would drift onto his left-hand side, laid off a perfect ball. Yeah. If, if I had any criticism, if I was a, a Newcastle fan, I'd be really shockingly disappointed with the goalkeeper because I, I thought uh, that the shot was too a little bit too close to him. To actually, uh, I'm, I'm ever so grateful that it went in. But I think if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be really disappointed with my with my keeper on that thing. But um, a flowing move, quite not in keeping with the the rest of Everson's attacking play. Um, so a, a shock as well, um, but a welcome one. Calvin, how about you? Your thoughts? Yeah, agreed. I, I think it's interesting. All three players involved in that goal have have been criticised quite heavily in in the weeks leading up to this game. So I, I'm you know I'm really happy for all three of them. Good good vision from Coleman because that was Maximan with the ball, and he saw his man cutting in, which meant you know there was really no need for him to be hugging the touchline because when Maximan cut in, so he he basically you know attacked the man won the wall right in the center circle. And, you know, it's interesting. I think the two games that we have won, two league games that we have won under Lampard have both come when Iwobi's had very good performances. He was excellent against Leeds. And I think he was, again, very good in this game against Newcastle too. And, and to see Iwobi still running, still attacking in the 99th minute of a game, I, I, I was pleased to see that. You know, like all Everton fans, I think we've all we've wanted from Iwobi is consistency, right? Because he shows up for one game and then disappears for another half a dozen. I mean, I, I was surprised, but not surprised to hear that that was his first Premier League goal for Everton against a team not called Wolves. <laughs> so that's that, that's that's something. <laughs> but yeah. that, again, that's Iwobi, right? I think that's been a very up and down career for him at Everton. And then one last word there on that goal. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, right? So, you know, we continue to persist with Richarlison in that striker role. And even though Richarlison himself claims that that is the position he wants to play, that's the position he kind of has to play. 
for Brazil, he is not your classic center forward, right? And so I, I don't know if that role is suited for him as a single number nine. And yeah. if you look at some of his worst performances, some of Everton's biggest struggles in scoring have come when he's been the sole number nine up there. And, mm. and, and I think the same thing. If Richarlison is on the pitch instead of Calvert-Lewin, that goal doesn't happen. Because I think Richarlison probably hangs on to the ball and tries to do too much for himself. Whereas Calvert-Lewin is good at playing the game with his back to goal. He is, his control, whether it's the aerial ball, whether it's a pass to feet, it is very good. He is more of that classic striker, can distribute the ball. Um, is, is he Harry Kane? No, Harry Kane is a, is a stunning distributor of the ball. But I think Calvert-Lewin is definitely a much, much better suited to that number nine role than Richarlison is. And, and it, it's really something for Everton if we survive this season and, and you know, don't, get, don't go down. It, it's to work out how do we get our, two of our biggest weapons on the pitch together and happy at the same time. Yeah. So on, on the goal itself, though, I, I think it was brilliant. Great tackle from Coleman, great vision and continuing to run by Iwobi and, and Calvert-Lewin's layoff was, was, was beautiful. Yeah, it was, um, you know, again, a great response. It was a great, you know, job by Calvert-Lewin to, to set him up there. And then Iwobi did the composed finish. Um, I mean, really what Everton needed at this point. It was, you know, we desperately yeah. needed three points. And, you know, one point would have been okay, I think. But the three points certainly helps. Gives us a, a little bit of cushion over, um, I believe it's Watford, who's right below us uh, in, in, in 18th place. Um, gives the three-point cushion there with a few games in hand. So, again, that, those games in hand are going to come in, in, in big. That We're going to have, you know, we had a game against Crystal Palace postponed. We had a game against Watford postponed. We've had a game against, um, we had a game against Burnley, which is now being made up postponed. Palace, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we need, those are going to be very, very big games against opponents that we should be able to at least be competitive against, you know, Burnley and Watford, teams we absolutely need to beat that um, could determine where we are come, you know, week 35, 36, and, and where we're looking at the table, yeah. whether we're feeling the pressure of possibly going down and needing to win our last few matches and needing to win a game against Brentford in a, you know, uh, late in the season or whether we'll have a little bit more of a cushion. But this was a very big win for Everton. Um, and um, it's, uh, you know, it gets us three points. We're on 25 points now, still in 17th place. Um, but um, at least, you know, again, um, another, another three points. So let's uh, take a quick break now. And um, when we come back, we'll talk more about the unfortunate circumstances that we had to watch on Sunday uh, in the Crystal Palace match and the FA Cup match. Uh, But yeah, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. uh, Now we're talking um, Crystal Palace. Um, We're talking the FA Cup match that took place on Sunday. Everton um, going to traveling to Crystal Palace, the first match in in a while in the FA Cup that we've had to not play at home, which was... uh, um, definitely interesting. Our, the lineup we went with was, um, again, Allen out for this match, so could not play him in the middle. We decided to go with 
Holgate, Keen, Godfrey in the middle there with Coleman and Kenny on the outsides playing sort of those wingback roles with Decore and Gomez in the middle. And then Townsend, Gordon, and Richarlison up front. Um, again, no Deli Ali for this match. No, um, no uh, Donny Vandebeek if he was available. So, um, so lacking a couple of the extra options that we typically have. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Damari Gray on the bench. Um, it was a good start for Everton. It was a good start. A uh, promising start. But quickly in the 25th minute, after we did not, again, we did not, again, get that first goal mm-hmm. and that, after that first start, um, Crystal Palace put one in the back of the net off of a set piece. Ball kind of droops over the first and second Everton defenders there right on the head of uh, one of their, uh, one of Crystal Palace's players heads in in the back of the net, and all of a sudden it's one nothing Crystal Palace. Um, Calvin, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on the beginning of the match and how things kind of got out of hand pretty quickly um, after we did not take advantage of our quick start. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's exactly what we covered even when we're talking about the beginning of the Newcastle game, right? I, 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 I still believe if this game was played at Goodison, we would have probably won this game with that start we had because, you know what? Yeah would have happened is we would have either been able to sustain that pressure or else we would have scored. And, and usually when we score first, I think we, we end up doing really well, especially at home. But just there, there is no backbone in this side. There is no sort of mental fortitude, fortitude whatsoever. And, you know, great start. I, I thought it was a really good start. I think we really rocked them back on their heels. Yeah. Again, still not a fan of the 3-4-3 system, but... Uh, knowing the, the 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 threat that Palace pose on the wings, it probably would have worked. But you know, this is all it takes for Everton is just one silly mistake or one error, one slip up, one set piece, like in this case. And 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 you know, there we go again. So again, for all the great work that Paul Clement has done on the set pieces, especially on the defending side, since he's come in with Lampard, I, I think we've really tightened up. Because uh, under Benitez, it was really a set-piece goal conceded every game we were playing. So yeah. it's better, but it, it's still not it's still not right. Like look at it. Mm-hmm. Every set-piece that goes into the Everton box, almost invariably, it's the opponent who gets to it first. You're yeah. not going to win games like that. And I think I remember Lampard mentioning it too, or maybe even Rafa before that, that it doesn't matter whether you're playing a man-to-man defense uh, on set-pieces or zone. If the players are not actively attacking the ball, you're going to concede goals. There is no system in the world that allows you to be passive at set pieces. Yeah. And, you know, no discredit to a side like Palace. Uh, they, they have limited ability when you look at, say, the top five or the top ten teams in the league. But set pieces is something that everyone in the league right now is focusing on because it, it, it's a source of goals. And at the end of the day, when you win one nil, it doesn't matter how you got your goal, penalties, set piece, bounced off the back of someone's head and went in. It's all good. It's all goals. And just, I, I don't see that sort of urgency from Everton either on attacking set pieces or defending set pieces. Yeah. On attacking set pieces, I don't even want to talk about it because as much as I love both Gordon and Gray, they should not be taking set pieces. They rarely beat the first man. 
And I'm and like, I'm five, six, and I would clear away most of the corners that they put in. They're terrible corners, right? So I don't even know what we're doing on attacking him, but defending them, it's just a mentality thing. The players are just not looking hungry. And, and that's what you need to do. You need to attack these set pieces. So again, all the things that we've talked about before, and I, if I'm Frank Lampard and any one of the Everton players, I'm disappointed. You can't give up a goal like that. And, and then it just gets worse from there, right? Because disappointment quickly becomes like utter depression because then they just start playing the ball like they've completely given up, which we saw again. So anyway, let's, let's stay on track there. Disappointing goal to give up, for sure. Jeff, thoughts? So, uh, like Calvin said, I thought we started great. Um, I thought that it was one of the best high press I've seen from an Everton side for for ages yeah um i, I think oh, there's so much energy uh when uh palace had the ball they would immediately close down by not one but two men um great stuff whether you'd sustain that for 90 minutes is another matter but um we we weren't actually given the opportunity as we well know um and and i think a lot of that uh impetus changed when um townsend got injured it was really unfortunate. So yeah. I thought Townsend was having a really good game. He's up for the game against his old club. Um, I think he was working uh, really hard. Um, I, I think also when we lost Townsend, we lost our only left footer on a pitch. Um, so uh, from offensive set pieces, as Calvin alluded to, uh, we're, we're then left with the, the likes of uh, Gray and Gordon, and it's not the uh, it's not their specialities to be taking free kicks. Um, you know, Townsend. If Townsend could be uh, playing at the age of thirty-eight, and he'd still swing a good <laughs> ball in, uh, because that, that's what he's yeah. good at. Um, so, great left foot that went missing. I think a lot went missing uh, after that, even before the first goal. Of course, um, <laughs> we look at that keen mischance missed uh, chance where um, he just snatched ridiculously at the, the ball when it fell to him. Um, we, we would have been 1-0 up at that point. That was before they scored. Um, dreadful. Um, I, I, I thought it was really amateurish the, the way uh, he, he, he went at it. Um, Even though, I mean, Godfrey had a chance. They were talking about the one where Godfrey had the chance at the back post too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, still, even even with the way he swung at that, Godfrey probably still should have put that in the back of that. I don't know. Uh, how... uh, and yeah. you know, it's something uh, I don't know that we're allowed to use the B word that um, Frank Frank Lampard used uh, recently, but it, it, it's something um, that uh, when I've looked at that a, a couple of times now, and Godfrey, who's normally a very brave player, um, I, I thought he should have been prepared to go in and class at the post. To, to actually put that in. Yeah. If, it, if it meant that much to you, go and get hurt to actually make sure the ball crosses the line. And I don't think he did enough. Um, yeah. And I know it was only a half chance, um, but wh- whether or not he should have gone at that with more determination, uh, I, I think he should. And I think it sort of summed up um, the, the lackadaisical attitude mm-hmm. that um, a lot of Everson players had on that unfortunate afternoon. As for the first goal itself, um, I, I think um, I think Calvin's quite right. Keane's got to dominate this area. So you've got your... Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was a bit bizarre. You had actually 
three three blockers, if you like, at the set piece. Gomez is terrible at doing things like that, but he, he was one of them. Um, I'm not saying it was his fault, but you've got a couple of blockers there trying to stop them getting a clear run, and then you've got the people standing on the six-yard box, our six-yard box, who are, whose job it is to go out and try and clear that and attack the ball because they've actually got to run as opposed to man marking someone, they've actually one of the benefits of zonal marking is that you can actually do that. You you, get, you afford yourself a little bit of a run so you can get higher. And Kane just left it too late. He he didn't take the responsibility yeah. to get there before that guy. He could see what was happening. It was clearly going to go over to Charleston's head, mm. uh, and th- he just didn't take the opportunity that he had to to get there. He didn't move his feet quick enough. And how many times have we said that about? Um, Michael Keane, you know, part of the problems and putting into his own net the other week is he doesn't move his feet quick enough. He, he got caught uh, with his feet tied together uh, for another goal that we conceded uh, recently as well. Yeah. He, he doesn't move gracefully enough across the pitch, uh, I'm, a, I'm afraid. And to, to actually get there was his job and he failed. And I, I thought I was yeah. re- really, really disappointed, especially after he, after he just missed a chance for us. Calvin, um, sorry, well, we Calvin. covered their first goal. Yeah, so I was about to say we already went over this. Right? Yeah, we got to go over the second. I mean, we we I guess we could go over the the second goal. The second goal again, a, a, a bit of a uh, a disaster in terms of the center backs just kind of letting somebody run yeah. right through there. I mean, I, again, it's. You know, once we went down one nothing, you know, like you said, Jeff, um, things changed when Townsend went off. Very similarly to the way, and I didn't bring this up when we were talking about Newcastle before, but very similarly to the way that Newcastle, the Newcastle game changed when we lost Mina and we lost um, we lost Gray in that match. But um, really, after that first goal goes in for Crystal Palace, it didn't really look. The same. Nothing really looked the same. Didn't look like we were ever going to get back into the match. 16 minutes later, they score again. We go into the half, down 2-0. Um, there yep. were some changes made by, um, by Lampard, bringing in Damari Gray, bringing in Alex Wilby, bringing in Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the, you know, in, in the second half, and obviously one of those brought in for Townsend. Um, but, um, you know, was there really any point in this match Jeff, we'll start. We'll go back to you. Was there really any point in this match when you guys felt after the the, the first goal had gone up? Did was there any point that you felt that we maybe had a chance to take advantage of this and maybe get back into the match, or was it a lost cause after that first goal? I I, I think when it was just one nil down, uh, I, I would always be optimistic. Um, but um, yeah. to to go two down, um, I think heads drop. And uh, that, that brittle confidence that uh, certainly the confidence players that we've got, and we've got a, unfortunately a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, then you, you could see that just drifting away. Um, so after the first goal, yes, I still remained optimistic that we could strike back and get a, an equaliser before half time. But the, the second goal kind of summed it up. Uh, I don't know whether you want to talk about that now or. Yeah, I mean, go yeah. If you if you want to go into it, Jeff, please so, do. So it, it's just uh, I, I've look, I've depressed the hell out of myself looking back <laughs> at this goal because um, the, the, it's a catalogue of errors uh, from the the very first moment where 
uh, Coleman and Decore stand over each other. Uh, they get caught out. The ball breaks. Uh, that they have a run down the left. Now, Godfrey um, was playing right side and centre back uh, with Keane in the middle and Holgate left. Um, and Godfrey, I, I don't know what he thought he was doing. He did absolutely nothing. He, he, he came out. He, he he half went towards the player with the ball, leaving a man behind him totally yeah. regardless. D- didn't seem to know that there was a man behind him. No, no awareness whatsoever. You then left with Keane trying to uh, get back and, and block a cross. And shortly before that, Keane had turned his back on a cross as well. Um, it, it just disgusting defending, if if, if you can say that. Um, uh, and then, you know, so the, they played the ball back across the box. And I, I'd watched the, this. You only see this when you watch it several times if, you, if you're if a masochist. Uh, and, and that is that you, you could see Gomez jogging back. And then when he sensed the danger, he was about six yards behind the uh, player who put the ball in the net and didn't break sweat, didn't yeah. try. Uh, I don't think he'd have got there anyway because he's, he's as slow as me. Um, so uh, I don't think he, he, he would have got there anyway. But the fact is, he didn't break sweat. And then when you, you look at it, the, the, the final error was... So I think it's Mateta that, that scored the, yes. the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he scored from somewhere around the 12-yard uh, point or whatever. And Holgate just didn't block him. He, he got there but didn't block him. It, you know, he, I'd, I'd have rather conceded a penalty in that situation where mm. he, he'd taken him out and sure. gone through him. Um, but he, he just didn't... It's this lack of decisiveness throughout the whole thing. Godfrey getting drift, drifting out of position, not doing one thing nor another. Keen turning his back on the cross. Gomez just jogging back, and then Holgate uh, d- doesn't do anything decisive about a block, and then it goes under Pickford. So you know, other than that, it was a fine goal. So um, <laughs> it, it was it was a dreadful goal to concede um, on on a number of different levels. Um, I, I think from that moment on. Uh, if you were to ask me the yeah, same question, do, do I think we would get back into that game? I'd have said definitely not. Calvin, your your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, again, when, when you concede about halfway through the first half and you're away from home, I think the priority needs to be, A, shut up shop. You know, definitely let's not repeat any errors. And then let's try and grab an equalizer before halftime, right? And it, it was in that crucial period of time, right? Those last five minutes before the half, that, 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 that is a really good time to score. And I think it's getting forgotten now. But just before Palace scored their second, Richarlison almost scored. Yeah. Coleman had that lovely diagonal that you know went around the back of the back line. Richarlison came around from the left, met the thing, tried to lift it over Butland. A better shot beats the goalie, goes in, it's 1-1. We go into the half level, and it's anyone's game at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, in typical Everton fashion, right? And, and I agree with you, Jeff. I, I think there's at least half a dozen fingers to point on that second goal, right? And you're, you're right. It's absolutely masochistic to watch. But that is exact. Just the video of that second goal is what you show kids when you're coaching them on how not to defend because it was just abysmal errors from halfway on between Dokure and Coleman both going for the same man and neither of them getting him. Then Zaha gets the ball 
And, you know, we didn't talk about the lineups for this one, but I am a little surprised what Lampard did here, right? So he put Godfrey on the right side of the three-man back line and Holgate on the left, which is the first time I've seen that done all season or probably ever, right? Again, Jeff, you talked about it, right? Godfrey's at his best when he's playing left back and possibly left center back because he's got someone to cover his behind, right? And, 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 and so putting him out there, I think, the, I think the idea was so that he could keep a close eye on Zaha. Well, Godfrey doesn't have that defensive sense. So pretty much everyone was out of position. Coleman and Dokure got in each other's way. Neither got him. Godfrey went drifting off. I don't know what he was doing on that. That was horrendous, right? Keane expecting him to block a cross. That's a miracle. That's never happened. And then Holgate probably thought he was playing right-sided center back and assumed there was someone else next to him. So again, just schoolboy errors. And, and you would think for professional players playing in the most competitive league in the world that these guys have the brains to you know, make tactical adjustments. And I'm sorry to say, but every week we watch them play and it's like, no, they don't. They simply don't. They just forget what they're doing or where they are or just the most basic errors. Again, if, if we concede a goal from a flowing move with magical passing and a brilliant top corner finish, there's nothing you can do about that. But these are all avoidable goals and conceding like that just before the break, that broke Everton's back. So, Interesting that you bring that up actually about brains and intelligence. I think some of our players have the brains of a rocking course, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, I think in terms of intelligence and, and their ability to react and see things, I think there's some individuals are seriously lacking in, uh, in, in doing that. It's almost like, like trying to play a, a game of snooker without thinking ahead what what your next move is once you've passed right. the ball. It's just playing it blindly. It's not having any forethought. Yeah. And, and that, that that's a pretty abysmal thing for a professional footballer to have to admit. Yeah, I mean, if you look and, and we'll continue on here into the second half. I mean, Everton had their chances in the second half, but, you know, I think what perfectly kind of describes this game, what perfectly is kind of described the defense at certain points during the season is, the third goal when I think it was Olise kind of curls it in and everybody just stops as if the ball is just going to either go out or go in the goal and nobody does anything. Right. And then the ball comes off the post and even Zaha is standing there and he's like, wait, like, is this, is this good? Like, am I, can I just put this in the back of the net? And nobody's there. He just calmly just takes it. He's like, okay, cool. Passes it in the back of the net. And then the fourth goal, very similarly, the ball cannons off of, um, Pickford's hands because nobody's in the middle defending whoever took the shot. I think it was Gallagher in the middle. And then nobody's running with Hughes on the left side to, you know, make yeah. sure there's no rebound. So it's, you know, I think those two goals perfectly describe some of what Everton's defense has looked like at times this year in terms of just literally looking lost at all points and not knowing what to do. And I think, you know, again, I, I, if you ask me, do I, you know, would I, what would I rather have? I, I don't really care about the FA Cup at this point. I, you know, if we're not going to win the FA, you know, I didn't think we were going to win the FA Cup. I didn't think, you know, the, the couple wins that kept us going there were nice. But, you know, I, there was no, you know, there was no 
belief in me that we were going to go on and win the FA Cup. And if it gives us some extra no. rest, if it gives us some time to plan things out, and if we're going to get wins in the Premier League rather than the FA Cup, like those are things we significantly need more. Yes, it would be great to win a trophy. But winning a trophy and going down would really suck. So, you know, it, it's not the <laughs> end of the world. But, you know, it does also, you know, lead to more worries. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. whether it's an FA Cup or a Premier League match. Those are problems that Everton are having. Um, and those are like little light bulbs turning off or mind shutting off that, that, that are a problem yeah. for Everton and will continue to be a problem, whether it is the FA Cup or the Premier League. So, Calvin, you, you have something. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just the manner of that FA Cup defeat, right? It's, it, it, yeah. was, it was just any goodwill, right? Any sort of mental, yeah, you know, we can do this that we got from the Newcastle game washed away, right? Just washed away yeah. in, in that deluge of goals because of that, right? And, and again, if we were not going to be serious, right, from the player's perspective about the FA Cup game, right, we should have sent the under-23s to go play, right? Yeah. They, they, they'd be a lot hungrier, right? And I, you know what, even if the under-23s went out and lost 6-0, I don't care, right? We've made it a priority. We are going to play our best side in the Premier League because yeah. we are trying to for survival. And you know what, that would have probably been a much better message to send to some of the veteran players in the Everton senior side that, hey, we don't trust you guys, you know, with, with, with playing a big thing, a big game like this, because it is a big game. Everton wins that game and we're in Wembley. When was the last time we were in Wembley? Imagine going to Wembley in a season where nothing has gone right for us, because I will, I will say it, nothing has gone right for us this season. So it's just, just the manner of that defeat. You know, we could have played our hearts out and lost 2-1 and, and, and said, yep, we gave it a shot and oh, well, it's not this year. And I think that would have been fine. Mental, mental victories and all that, right? Moral victories. But no, this, just the manner of how we just capitulated, gave up. And I'm not surprised that, you know, Frank Lampard at the final whistle absolutely called out his players, right? And, and said he didn't think the players have the courage um, to play in big games like this. And I'm, I'm, I will back him. Um, I, I know there's been some pundits who have been, um, oh, geez, he shouldn't have called out his players. He might lose the dressing room. Oh, well, you know what? Grow a pair. Like, like Frank basically just told his players, grow a pair. I mean, yeah, listen, if he loses the dressing room, I mean, you know, half the players in the dressing room, we don't want there anyway. So, you know, it's like, ship them out. I don't care. Like, it's like, you know... It, at a you know at a point it's you know you, you can't just keep saying oh you know we'll get there or oh you know it'll work out whatever like you have to call out your players you have to hold there has to be accountability for actions and there should be accountability for the actions that Everton put forward in this match because it wasn't a good match by any means they went away again and they lost on the road again in poor fashion yep. um it just, it wasn't very good. And, and, you know, yes, we talk a lot about how, you know, there aren't many options and it's it just, you know, it, it, you know, it seems like we get a good game and then we get three bad ones back to back to back. It's like, we need to put yeah. together a string of good matches here. We need to really start building on performances and, you know, Hopefully, you know, we can figure out a formation that works for us, a group of, of, of players that works for us for the end of the season. Um, 
but the four nothing loss to Crystal Palace in the FA Cup does not. Um, it's not bringing any confidence by any means. It, it, it again, it, it's no. it's similar to what has happened really this whole season. When we ever we've had a good match, a win, okay, we're back on track. Oh, you know, we have a good matchup this weekend. Like maybe we can, you know, the Newcastle. Right. We beat Newcastle. We got an FA Cup match, and then. West Ham and Burnley. Maybe if we can string together, maybe a tie against West Ham, a win against Burnley, you know, then we're looking okay. But you go and you lose to Crystal Palace for nothing, and then you're like, oh well, West Ham's probably going to thump us too after the international break. And then what are we going to look like against Burnley? Yeah. So it's every time there's been a hint of Everton confidence, we've we've it's been diminished <laughs> shortly after. But um, anything else you guys want to touch on in this match? Just one last word from me, and uh, sorry, it's depressing talking about it, I know that, but actually, the third goal, if ever there was a, a, a moment, and you may not have seen this, but I've, I've studied this uh, at length, the third goal, which is the one where uh, Elise rather luckily gets that spinning ball, yeah. and it came back off yeah. the post into the path of Palace uh, strikers, so y- you can say there's a big element of luck there, but if you want to depress yourself further, have a look back at the, the replay of that because before the ball actually hits the post, Holgate walks away towards the touchline. The ball's already gone out as far as Holgate is. You have a look at it. Uh, he, he's actually walking away, sideways, away from the goal. Yeah. He was that resigned. Uh, and that's the, the thing which bugs me yeah, most, yeah. being an Evertonian, is that when I see players on a pitch with that urge of resignation and um, com- complacency, that he just thought that ball was safe, that it was going behind the goal, and actually turned and walked away. Have a look at it, because you, you'd, you'd want to do the same as I'd want to do to him, I think. No, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I will say, you know, one of the things I think about the Premier League, you know, obviously in America, we have, we don't have relegation. There is no relegation, you know. One of the things I think about relegation in terms of some of these players, you know, I think a lot of them, especially maybe the better players, think, oh, well, if this team gets relegated, I'll get sold and I'll get back, I'll be back in the Premier League. It doesn't really matter. And I think that some of the times you, you start to see that a lot in these players. You start to see, you know, maybe Holgate is thinking the same thing. Oh, well, we get relegated. There's been a couple of Premier League teams that have been after me. They'll buy me, and I'll be back in the Premier League next year anyway. It's not going to matter. And that's a problem that we've had with Everton, where it's, you know, some players that we've had have felt like they could care less about Everton and could care less about playing for Everton and playing for the badge and playing for the fans. And, you know, an action like that by Holgate leads me to believe that type of, you know, oh, whatever. Well, it's another goal. It's another loss. Yeah. What does it matter? So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, something to look out for something we haven't had is, you know, like you said, the courage to go forward. Like you guys have said, the courage to go forward, the courage to put forward good performances. Um, so, you know, hopefully somehow, some way Lampard can change that over the course of these next few weeks here, but we'll, we'll see Calvin. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked a little bit about courage. I think we've definitely beaten up on the players. Um, there, there is an opportunity here that I, I really hope Lampard actually utilizes this international break because the timing of the break is fantastic, by the way. You know, I think yeah. it really helps a lot of the Everton players get better, but I think it really 
allows Lampard to sit down and think. And, and here's one of, one of my things about Lampard. So, Dokore, over the last three games, has been horrendous, all right? You know, I love him to bits. I, I think he's been one of our better players since he's joined the club. And, yeah. you know, completely de- indefatigable, amazing engine, you know, can run all day long, not a problem. But right now, he is in horrible, horrible form, right? His yeah. passes are going wayward. He's late on his tackles. If anyone ever needed a break, it was him. But with, with Everton luck, obviously, Alan is now suspended for, you know, two more games. So there's simply no chance in hell that we rest Dokore. But look at it this way, right? Alan's out. Gomez really should not be playing, right? Short yeah. sort of like maybe 20 minutes at the end of the game that, you know, as a substitute appearance. So you can't sit Dokore down. How do you get his confidence back, right? How do you put him in a position where he can just start playing some simple passes and get, get his head right again? Because yeah. we, we can't afford the luxury of sitting him, right? So I think this is something Lampard needs to think about, right? Now, whether it's getting some youngsters back in, I mean, or whether Dele Ali needs to start playing a little more. Obviously, Van der Beek will be back after the break. So I think, I think he's gonna, Lampard's got a lot to think about, and I think he's got a lot to work on over, over this international break. I'm actually happy to see Dokure going and playing for Mali. Because I think that's going to that's gonna get him sort of get his head right rather than not playing over the international break and just continually stewing in his head about how badly he's been playing. Because, you know, I mean, he knows he's been playing badly, right? He doesn't need yeah. us to come and tell him that. So hopefully this international break helps him clear his head out. It helps Lampard clear his head out because I think he's got some critical things he's doing that just don't work, right? Yeah. This, this three-man back line... It, it, he's got to fix that. So, international break, great timing. That's, that's my last word on this one. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here, um, and we'll come back, and we'll talk a little about the youth team, something we haven't talked in a while. So, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back, and we're talking about uh, the youth teams for Everton, uh, and, you know, Jeff, for us, for Royal Blue Mersey, has – has been able to follow that for us. He's been our, our kind of expert, our, our uh, beat reporter of sorts on the issue. Um, Jeff, why don't you tell us, how has the youth team performed over, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about Everton and the, the, the senior team. Has the youth team say, taken the same trajectory? Are they, you know, on a more, are they having more success? What's been the youth team like? Tell me, give, give us a, a little of a breakdown of them. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to give you better news than um, th- than I'm going to, but um, <laughs> in some respects, uh, certainly at the under-23 level, they're, yeah. they're mirroring uh, what's happening with the first team. Uh, they can see the goal, and uh, the, there seems little way back. They're scoring a few more goals than the first team does, but uh, still, out of the last uh, five games... They've won one and lost four. They've conceded uh, 11 goals. Um, Sorry, no, they haven't. They've conceded, yes, sorry, they've conceded 11 goals and scored six. So it's not looking great. 
Um, the, the similar sorts of problems to what they're experienced with the first team. They are playing um, a system which is very similar to Frank Lampard's three-four-three. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, it's may, may I'm not saying that's necessarily uh, to blame for it. If if anything, I'd say the under twenty threes have players who adapt to that system better than the first team do. Um, but but nevertheless, it, it it's not consistently working. The the only victory they have in those last five games was against the bottom side, Derby County. So that that kind of tells you. I, I did watch the full ninety on that. And um, they, they did deserve the win, but, um, you know, that was just a 2-0 against the, the worst team in the division. Um, so it, it, it's not great. Um, there's some good performances. Um, you know, the, there's a couple of players that are clearly shining, like uh, Reese Welsh, the, the centre-back, mm. uh, Kyle John at full-back, Lewis Dobbin up front, and uh, Isaac Price has been doing well as well. So it, it's not without some glimmer of hope. But uh, I'd, I'd love to say they were doing a lot better and um, you, you could immediately transport some of them into the, the first 11. To be perfectly honest, you, you could do because at least they would try. We, we know <laughs> that. Um, but but in, in all honesty, uh, the results have been poor of late. Uh, they've, of course, had a couple of players that have been training with the first team and therefore not being available to the under-23s. Yeah. So that, that does have an impact as well. It's still a very young team at mm. under-23 levels. Most of them are 18 and 19. So they are, you know, younger than a lot of the, the, the opponents that they play against. You know, when I, when I do watch games, I, I sometimes hear names and I think, oh, that guy's played for Leeds United, that guy's played for Manchester United. Yeah. So, you, you, whereas you can't say that about the current under-23 setup, um, they're, they're, they're a very inexperienced team. A couple of shining lights, but almost as equally depressing results as uh, we see with the first team, I'm afraid. <laughs> Is there anybody in there that has, I mean, I know you said, you know, you could probably put them in there, but in the, you know, in the first team and give them a shot, maybe put them on the bench. Is there anybody, though, that you really think would, you know, can make that leap right now to give a little bit of jolt? Is there one so, player? So, so I think if I was to pick on one player, I would actually pick on uh, Reese Welsh um, because he's a massive yeah. improvement this year. Um, at, the, at the beginning of the year, he hadn't played a full season with the under-23s last year. Um, he was still a bit gangly, still a bit... Um, looking against more experienced players as though they could uh, take advantage of him. This year, he's really... Um, what, what I've been most impressed with him is he rarely loses a ball in the air. Uh, and when you think about how many goals we concede from set pieces, that, that's got to be a bonus. Uh, and also his recovery uh, reading of the game and his tackling is really good. He's no slouch across uh, across the pitch. Got way more pace than Michael Keane, for instance, um, and and he he can get he can get to uh, positions to actually recover and make good tackles. So I'd I'd say him. The, the obvious choice would probably be Lewis Dobbin, but uh, and I think Lewis Dobbin deserves some minutes on the pitch. To be perfectly honest, because he's lively. Yeah. And, sure. you know, uh, so if nothing else, he, he'd lift the supporters and the supporters would get behind him. Yeah. And that, that was my main point that I made in that article the other week, is that I think, uh, and we've seen it before, that the crowd gets behind the homegrown kids when they, when they do come through. 
and, and I think we need any lift we can get at the moment in, in terms of lifting the spirit and and that's why I, I suggested that a couple might be ready for some minutes not to play entire games maybe but to actually lift the team and lift the supporters and and give us a glimmer of hope if the if the worst happened next uh, for next season we could see oh well at least we we might see a bit more of these kids and they'll have grown up a bit more and yeah. they they can maybe give us something all right um as anybody i know there's obviously the standouts there's the you know the Lewis Dobbins the Reese Walshers the uh, you know Isaac Prices and 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 whatnot has there anybody that has there been anybody that's impressed you that you didn't think was going to impress you a player that you know is surprising you a little bit um, you know outside of the ones that were I guess kind of expected to be near the top of this team. So, so I, I guess um, one that doesn't get a, a, a lot of mention and he's the captain of the uh, under twenty ones is uh, Ryan Astley. Uh, who's uh, a centre-back more in the mould of a John Stones than a traditional, um, you know, brick wall type of uh, yeah. centre-back. So it, he's someone who can carry the ball, read the, the, the game well, captains the team very well. It's always, for his age, he's just 21. He's a Welsh under-21 international. Um, t- to me, he reads the game really well and uh, could possibly uh, break through. He, he's been a surprise for me this season, but um, he's been totally consistent. And whenever, uh, I think he's only missed one or two games, so when he's missed, that you, you notice it. You, you see it straight away. And I think that's always the mark of a player. If you take him out, uh, what, what are you left with? And, and there's, that, there's that leadership element as well. Anybody who's disappointed? Any, any, anybody who is maybe... Performing worse than you would expect than than you would have expected. There, there have been some good performances, but there, there have been a couple. Uh, you, you'll have seen the name Tom Cannon. He, he, he scores quite a few goals for the yeah. uh, under twenty threes. Um, he misses an awful lot. Um, so I know that. And I know you probably shouldn't criticise him because at least he does put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah. But his percentage—I don't know what it is—but I suspect his percentage of taking goals to chances is quite low. Um, so I think he could have kicked on and done more. Um, so and I think he sort of got his chance after Ellis Sims went out on loan. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a big opportunity for him to step in. He, he yeah. wasn't going to get challenged too much for his. Um, for his place in the under-23 lineup, And I just think he could have kicked on more. So a bit disappointed in him. Calvin, do you have anything uh, you want to you ask Jeff here? Yeah, Jeff. So uh, this is actually uh, one of the kids who's out on loan. And, and, you know, there's a lot of talk on Twitter about him right now. You know, one of our former writers, Matt, who covers, you know, used to cover the tactical pieces. You know, he's been casting an eye on Lewis Warrington for Tranmere, right? And, and, and looks like, you know, Lewis is playing really, really well, right? Um, obviously, with the right perspective, it's League Two, right? So from that, from that perspective, obviously, his achievements don't look that great. But, you know, I, I mean, the signs are there, right? He looks like a very good defensive midfielder with a good eye for the ball, press resistant, you know, a term that a lot of people love to throw around nowadays. Um, but he's also at the end of his contract. And... Uh, I, I do believe Everton are working on extending him, but what, what are your thoughts on Lewis and, and, and what he's done at Tranmere? 
So, so, so Lewis Warrington have followed uh, really closely uh, since he was about 16, 17, uh, and he came through um, the winning, I think it was the under-17 winning team. At which point, interestingly, he, he was playing as a more of a left midfielder, uh, or at, I actually knew somebody whose son played for Everton at the same time, and they were saying about Warrington, he was the next Ross Barkley, so he, he was very much a, a number 10, get, getting the number 10 or number 8, getting through, and they converted him to a number 6, only uh, probably the back end of last season, and I think he's excellent. He's uh, he's gone now, so he's not particularly in my thoughts because he's not were in the blue of Everson Rice at this moment in time. But I'm I was shocked that they didn't tie him down to a contract before they let him go uh, to uh, Tramir Rovers. He's a Wirral boy, uh, which is right near where Tramir Tramir are. Uh, so he's a very very much yeah. a local boy. Um, I I think he's. I think he's excellent. He probably lacks a, a yard of pace. A little, he's, he's a little like uh, Alan in, in terms of um, sure. wanting to shield the back four, uh, which he does really well. He'll receive the ball in any situation, so y- you can put, put him a, not a hospital ball, but you can you can give him a ball that uh, <laughs> might, might prove difficult for other people. He shields it. He wants the ball all the time, and he's got the confidence to do it. So. I've mentioned a few things there, like the word, the C word, the confidence. So things that are lacking with some of our senior players is in abundance with that boy. Um, I, I, I would be heartbroken, really, if, if they uh, didn't tie him down and he didn't come back. Because I, I think he is. He's about 1920 yeah. now. And uh, I think he, he's one that it would not phase him to be put into the first team. I think I'd feel most confident about him along with maybe the likes of Welsh. All right. Calvin, you got anything else that you... Uh... Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, Jeff, anything else that you want to touch on with the youth team that we haven't touched on yet? Anybody else? Any, you know, any, any points? Any, you know, anything you got there? I've, I've seen, so uh, un- until they got knocked out, um, I-, I watched the Everson youth team, which is basically the under-18s, but not all of the under-18s because you had... Because of the age rules on that, you were having yeah. to play. They, they were playing two 15-year-olds, actually. Um, and, and within that setup, um, there, there were a lot of good players. There is a standout player for me at under-18 level, and that's uh, Francis Okoronkwo, uh, who is a very tall 6'3", big lad, uh, played for Sunderland's youth team, came through Everson um, at the beginning of the season, injured when he first came. He looks a real prospect. He plays either as a striker or left winger, um, but especially left winger. If he gets out there against some of the smaller fullbacks, he'll bully his way into the box. Um, he, he looks a prospect. Uh, I really have good feelings about him. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, I think that's it. I think, I think that's it for us. Nothing else you guys want to touch on, correct? Nothing we missed? All right. Sounds good to you guys out there. Thank you for listening to, well, first off to, to Calvin and Jeff. Thank you guys for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Obviously it's always difficult to talk about Everton these times, but thank you for joining me. <laughs> um, and to you guys out there, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for following along. Keep downloading the episodes, keep following along. We'll be back 
next week. Um, again, we're probably going to try recording on Tuesdays every week now. So the episodes will probably be out more on Wednesdays and Thursdays from now on. So keep an eye out for that next week. We'll preview West Ham. We'll preview Burnley. We'll get into a couple of those things and talk about whatever else, uh, what other news may pop up. We might have another guest on to talk about um, some other parts of the Everton football club. Um, but for now, that's it for us. And we will talk to you guys next time.